In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos Podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos post-game reaction podcast brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant. Not joined by anybody today. This is a bit of a weird one. I'm 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 stuck on a boat on a lake. It's a long story, but I'm not, I'm not able to get in touch with JB. I'm hoping there'll be an opportunity to upload this at some point. But what a what a tight football game. The Argos end up hanging on to it, uh, hanging on for for dear life at the end. I, I think probably Argos fans that have been through this many times before we're getting a little bit white knuckled at the end there but they do hang on 24 19 is the final and basically the story of this one is the Argos got out they, they got out to an early lead it really should have been put away in the first half and I think that you go back and look at some of the stats even like looking at the the halftime stats at halftime neither team could run the ball at all so Argos had 24 yards rushing the Red Blacks had 18 yards rushing, but the Red Blacks couldn't move it through the air either. Arbuckle at half, 18, or sorry, 8 of 19 for 90 yards and an interception. Uh, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, meanwhile, was, was moving very effectively, 18 of 24 for 238. And so you look at those stats, and it really should have been a huge lead for the Argos, but instead it was only 13-6. And then the second half, things changed a little bit. The third quarter, the Argos kind of started to pull away, built up a a 24-9 lead. And then as we got to the fourth, Arbuckle started to heat up. Some of the injuries that the Argos suffered throughout the course of the game started to take their toll. And it looked like exhaustion started kicking in a little bit too. So guys that were out there playing that usually are rotational pieces that don't usually you know play start to finish suddenly we're having to play full quarters filling in for injured guys and they just weren't able to sustain that same level of energy so the red blacks came firing back at the end and man it got close but they managed to hang on so the argos do win the game i'm going to go through it uh, we'll we'll break down sort of quarter by quarter as uh, i go chronologically through it and bring up some of the talking points that i've jotted down here and i, I excuse play or ask for you to forgive me for any weird boat noises i've got going on here it's uh, not these these are not these are not ideal conditions for podcast recording but i don't know i've recorded in a bar in quebec city uh, this can't possibly be more difficult than that so uh, we'll give this a go all right, so uh, at the start, uh, really interesting to see off off the top, a lot of the game plans that JB and I talked about in preparing for this week seemed to be what both teams were interested in doing. So Ottawa, we talked about them needing to needing to really spread the ball around, not just focus on one side of the field, as is often what happens with Nick Arbuckle. And right away, I saw the first couple of passes over to the right side. And I thought, uh-oh, you know, here we go again. But after that, he did start spreading it around. And one of Toronto's game plans that I had offensively was taking deep shots. And that's how Toronto opened the game. And the reason you do this, not just because you can connect on these, and McLeod Bethel-Thompson did connect on one of his two uh, first deep shots in that on that first drive. 
the reason you do this is is not just because it's there, not just because Ottawa is playing man coverage and you can beat them for a touchdown, but because it also it forces them to back up a little bit. Unfortunately, they couldn't complete those deep balls with enough regularity to get Ottawa to completely check out of their game plan. That just never really it, it never really happened. They came in with basically the same defensive plan they did last time, which worked incredibly well last time. We remember. It launched this series of five games where everybody was playing man defense uh, against the Argonauts and basically forcing them to pass. That's what Ottawa came in here doing. They were not going to allow, they were not going to allow Toronto to run the ball. And Toronto really couldn't. And you ha- you give it to, like AJ Wallet gave everything he had. But you can't. You you just can't run against that many guys in the box when you don't have a dominant running uh, attack, when you don't have offensive linemen who can bully players around and, and uh, you know, run right over them. And that's not what the Argos have. Remember, they're still they're still missing Nicastro. They're missing Tate. They're missing Cage. And the guys they've got in there are doing their best. They they were missing Allen uh, at uh, the, the halfway point of this game. Uh, it, it's It's thin. We know that. And Ottawa is basically playing on that and saying, you can throw over 300 yards, but that's not going to win you the football game. And the reason it doesn't is that if you're going to throw and only throw, your completion percentage has to be well over 80 to make that work. Because in three down football, even if you're completing at a high percentage, which McLeod Bethel Thompson was, he was throwing at 70%. That's great. Over the course of a season, 70% completions is awesome. But if you don't have a running game to back that up, then 70 doesn't really mean that much. It usually means a lot of field goals. And that's that's what we've seen a lot of from Toronto this season. So that first drive ends up uh, resulting in a Boris Beattie field goal, uh, 51 yards, I think that one was. And that was uh, Beattie's 200th uh, career CFL field goal, which is, is pretty awesome. I was set up by a really nice long completion to Curly Gittins Jr., who had a heck of a game. And after being quiet... Uh, for, oh, it's not quite a month, but he hasn't had one of those dominant games like we've seen him have before in a while. This was a really nice one to see. So yeah, I love Curly Gittens today. Eight completions to Curly Gittens Jr. for 161 and a touchdown. And a touchdown that he so badly wanted where he reached out with everything he had to get that ball in the end zone. So uh, yeah, Curly started off well. You know, Beatty uh, nails that 51-yarder. Toronto's rolling, but... Yeah, three nothing. We've seen that before. Uh, the the Ottawa offense uh, once they took the field, they were under a tremendous amount of pressure without Toronto sending heat. But the issue with this is that's really hard to sustain. So Oakman got in there early for a sack. It, it ended up being flagged, and I had a problem with this one. It, it got called for uh, roughing the passer. It just it looks so light. It is extremely difficult when you were sacking a quarterback. In the position that both of those players were in, you know, not to not to do something that you could kind of look back and say, well, you know, maybe he fell on him this way. Maybe he did kind of graze a face mask as he went by or, you know, maybe his, his hand got behind the jersey as he went by. It's an extremely difficult thing to do. You got two guys basically wrestling to the ground. Um, everything's happening in a split second. And, you know, the result was he got flagged for it. I, I didn't care for it. And I, I thought later on in the game when Toronto challenged that very same play, McLeod looked like he may have been horse collared to the ground on on a sack by Malden. They challenged that, and it's the same thing where I I wouldn't have called that one either. I think I think both were not penalties, but unfortunately Toronto was on the wrong side of both of those challenges. 
So Toronto gets the ball back, and it, right away, it's it's not looking like running's an option. They were, had rushed for like minus two, and they didn't even try to rush after that for a while. It was wasn't until they got down near the goal line where they decided that they were gonna they were gonna give the running attack uh, another go. But a beautiful beautiful play uh, by a beautiful series by Toronto to end that uh, first quarter that uh, finished off with a touchdown. I want to go back to to a couple of things that happened there. So there was a really nice jet to Gittins Jr. for 20 yards. And what I liked about this play design is that we haven't really seen this kind of backfield action before. Often when you have a player coming across on a jet, which happens a lot, that's a big part of Coach Dinwiddie's offense, usually you don't have the running back staying in there and then uh, taking a, a, a fake handoff after that. Either the running back is leading that jet out or they're on the other side of the ball going the other way uh, or they've stepped up in advance and, and taken the fake first. I don't think I've seen them run it that way. And it caught Ottawa by surprise because it's not it, it's not in accordance with the film that they've been studying. So Giddens comes across and the linebackers all freeze because Olette is is steadfast in the backfield, and then he takes a fake. The ball's already gone, but the linebackers are all focused in on Olette uh, and that um, and that sort of counter look. Gittins, meanwhile, has only a, a DB to beat to the outside, and he's able to pick up twenty. So really nice design. And then when you know, just uh, to make that full series complete, Kelly's in on a third and one. Uh, he gets, you know, he he gets his yard, and that's turning into a pretty successful package. They did get flagged on that, but I'm glad they sorted it out. The reason they got flagged on that third and one, you could see the the anger from the Toronto sideline because uh, Theron Churchill was playing tight end on that spot. And whenever they send in their heavies, remember they don't have any tight ends on the roster right now. Neither Declan Cross or Joe Carbone was able to go. And so when they send in that heavy package, Theron Churchill is is playing a tight end. And so he has to declare eligible. He, as as number 51, has to, when he goes out onto the field, he has to tell the referees, I'm eligible on this play. So that when he lines up as a tight end, they know that that's not an illegal formation. They know that's not, that's not a tackle. That's an eligible receiver. And so he did that on this play. But I guess the referee that that hurt that threw the flag didn't hear that get communicated it was communicated fortunately to someone and so they were able to pick up that that flag uh, and then oh coaxy had such a huge highlight real play and it was kind of an up and down game for him he had real moments and this was one of them it's i, I think it was, i feel like it was second down and 10 in this situation and bethel thompson guns it out to Coxie, who catches it after about an eight or nine yard gain, and he just gets walloped right as, as soon as he catches the ball. Not only does he hold his ground and and shed the tackle, he then stiff arms another defender to the ground, gets five more yards, stiff arms another defender to the ground, and turns the corner. He almost gets into the end zone. I actually thought he scored, but his foot just stepped out of bounds at the two-yard line. That was an amazing play. That that was, again, another sign that things are rolling. This Argos team is just going to steamroll the Red Blacks today. I, I felt, honestly, at that point, that this might be one of those 36 to, to 7 games, something like that. And, uh, of course, obviously it wasn't. I, I should know better probably by now. And uh, then we get the the dreaded first and goal from the two situation that we've seen the Argos uh, struggle with, uh, to be kind. 
And on that first play, I was thinking, oh, no, here we go. I can't wait to, to go on Twitter and see what people think of that first play call. First and goal from the two, and they they dial up. It was, it was either quads or quins. I didn't see the, the formation, but they only had one receiver to the left, and it was an extra offensive lineman uh, eligible as a, as a tight end. They end up throwing a corner route to the right side, uh, right into the the corner of the end zone. It's just not a high percentage play. I know, like JB absolutely hates fades and corners when you're on the goal line. I get, I get it. I, the space is open. I don't mind taking a shot there, but it's just not a. It's not really a conventional thing. You have to have seen something or really believe strongly based on film that that's going to be there. It wasn't open. It, the ball was overthrown. And then on second down and goal from the two, this is a huge pressure down because if they don't get it, I think based on what we saw from Dinwiddie today, he might have actually gone for it, third down and goal for the two, but they've just been so they've been so bad in those situations. I didn't want to see that. I didn't want to see it come up. So second down and goal from the two, they give it to Olette. He makes a fantastic cutback and did essentially everything that stood out on his pro day going back a few years, all of the athleticism that he had from the balance to the acceleration, the change of direction, the power, the strength, that two-yard run, he used all of it. If this was a Madden game, he pushed every single button trying to get into the end zone and and willed his way in there because the blocking wasn't there. It didn't hold up. Uh, Guys got through. It's so tough down there. Uh, and the goal line, everyone was coming. Um, but what I like about the situation is that if that's on first down, he doesn't get through. If they run that ball on first down, that that does get stuffed. There's a brief hesitation when you run it on second now because they don't think the Argos are going to do it. They do think the Argos are running that on first down. I guess that's why they sort of reversed their tendency and, and threw for the corner. But on second down, I think everybody at TD Place was thinking this is a pass. I was thinking this was a pass. I thought we were going to see, I thought we were probably going to see motion and then a swing out uh, to to Ambles or Gittins Jr., like one of those that we've seen before. And instead, though, they, they give it to Olette and it's the right call. He gets in. But again, tip of the hat to Coach Dinwiddie just for being different. I thought he called some plays today that were very unlike uh, what I feel at times may have been kind of a pattern that he's fallen into. And so he's been doing some self-film study, clearly. And he's trying to go against some of his tendencies. So, yeah, end of the quarter. It's 10 nothing Argos. Uh, and it just felt like at that point, if they could, if they could put another, an, another score in there, Ottawa just didn't look like they, they had it. Uh, their, game plan, their game plan needed the, the running game to be successful. They, they were trying to throw sort of you know, left, right, center, but short. Uh, And again, just like I was saying before with McLeod Bethel-Thompson, if you've got no running game at all, you're just not going to make your way down the field like that because all it takes, if you're you're throwing for six and seven yard chunks, it just takes one incompletion and now you're punting the ball away. And that's what was happening to, to Ottawa early on. And then there was a moment that where I really felt like this this was going to put the game away. Uh, the, the entire series started off um, looking good, looking different. Uh, Haydel with a, a return. Haydel, Haydel showed some stuff today. Now, he had a great return. We got called for an illegal block, so that ended up backing it up. But there was actually space, and there was only one guy he needed to make miss, which he did. And then suddenly all sorts of room opened up, and it was a great return for the first time in a long time. We were like, wow, the Argonauts uh, are in business on a punt return. But it was called back. However, uh, it did feel like there was, you know, maybe something uh, different happening. And then uh, Maurice Carnell ends up 
uh, intercepting Nick Arbuckle on another play that, again, I want to give Carnell credit. He's dropped a couple picks. Uh, he wasn't going to drop this one today. But what I love about this is something I was saying in a film session a few weeks ago. Carnell has so much faith in his judgment of the ball. He knows, it, like, again, we can we can criticize his hands for having dropped a couple picks. And, uh, you know, there was one that was taken away from him for an Amos penalty. But that is a defensive player who judges the ball in the air like a receiver. He knows exactly where that ball is coming down. And on that play, he's got Acklin in front of him. And they're really trying to force feed Acklin. And Carnell's watching the ball come in. And like I said a few weeks ago, he, he knows. He's like, I know where this ball is going. I'm not going to close in on Acklin. I'm going to trust my eyes and just stay right here. The ball's coming right to me. He does that. He picks it off. And then... They bust out the the sudden change, which I I love. This is a this is an old school offensive psychology technique. After a turnover, the theory is that you should go deep. After a turnover, sudden change is like very first offensive play. Go deep, try and catch the DBs just kind of dragging, uh, not in it. They're you know suddenly back out on the field. They're mad at the offense for turning the ball over, and suddenly they get take advantage of uh, for a deep touchdown. So they do. They go deep for Banks on the sudden change, and they get the PI call, which was light. Uh, it was it was challenged and uh, and it it stood, but it was oh no sorry the the challenge flag was picked up when the referee gave uh, gave uh, Coach Lapolis more information, uh, whatever that means. And so I think the only reason I might be angry at that is if they were saying you you can't challenge illegal contact here because that's something that Coach Dinwiddie wanted to do a, a few weeks ago and wasn't allowed to pick up his flag again. So I'm hoping that's not what the situation was, but not being at TD Place today, I wasn't able to ask them after the game uh, about that. So I haven't seen the post-game press conferences or anything like that. So I've got some catching up to do in terms of finding out what was going on in that play. And uh, and and then uh, right after that, there's a, a bomb to Gittins Jr., Bethel Thompson just standing in there holding his ground. He took so many shots today, not just on the plays where he was sacked by, by Malden and, and the rest of the defensive line, but he released the ball at the last possible second on five or six occasions. This was another one of those on that, that bomb to Gittins Jr. And then, you know, Allen is, ends up getting injured. Richards comes in for Allen. It's just, it's not an ideal matchup. I, I'm a Shane Richards fan. I really like him at right tackle. To go in the game cold at right tackle against Malden is not something anybody wants to do. If he's got a week of prep, you know, he knows he's he's starting. This is going to be his situation. Remember, he's this isn't like he he only thinks he's going to be going in to play right guard or sorry, right tackle. He's been playing the guard spots. He's been playing left. He's been playing right. He's all over the place. If he spends the whole week knowing I'm starting at right guard, I promise you he looks better than than how he looked today. It wasn't it wasn't a terrific day for him. And really the game changed for the Argos after that substitution. There were other reasons. That's not that's not the reason that this game changed. There were other things going on, but it did sort of start it. Uh, you know, they're in they're in field goal, they're in field goal range there. Uh, third and three from the Ottawa five. And Coach Dinwiddie leaves the offense on the field. I actually thought he was gonna go for it. I we've seen this many times before, the simulated snap count, trying to draw the defense offside. It never works. I'm I'm really not a fan of that. Uh, especially if you have to burn a timeout in the CFL. I'm I'm especially not a fan of that. I'd rather take the five yard penalty. But Really, I just want to send the field. If you're not gonna, if you're not gonna kick it, 
and you're going to go for it, great. Send your guys out there. Go for it. If you are going to kick it, just make that decision from the beginning. I just felt the way it was handled with the, the kicking team being sent out and then the offense being sent back on, it just felt it felt like as soon as that happened, you're like, oh, okay, well, they're not actually running a play. If they were going to go for it, then you have the confidence to go for it right from the beginning. The fact that they sent everyone on and off meant that something was up. Someone said, hey, well, let's at least try to draw them offside. And the coaches went for it. But they end up not jumping offside because it never happens. Uh, a field goal makes it 13 nothing Argos. And I guess this is the point where I started kind of worrying because I looked at the numbers at that stage. And they're basically what I read off to you as, as the halftime stats. There's still time left in this in this half. But at 13 nothing, it did not feel... It did not feel at all like the Red Blacks belonged in this game. And yet, they're, they're only... A, a touchdown away from from being uh, right back in it, from being a touchdown from winning it. And so we've seen that happen before with the Argos uh, this season and last season where there's there's so many field goals as part of the scoring because of the lack of consistent rushing attack that teams do stick around. We remember the the East Final. I don't want to have to bring you back to that, but the Argos dominated in every possible way they just could not score a touchdown to save their lives. It was was a 16-0 or, or something like that at the at the half. And if one of those is a touchdown, it's an, an entirely different game. That's what we kind of felt like here. One was a touchdown here, but 13 to nothing at this point, the way the numbers looked, because at that stage of the game, Arbuckle didn't even have, I don't think he even had 30 yards passing at that stage. He ends up putting two nice drives together at the end of the half. Muama gets hurt on the first one, and that was the second big blow that the Argos took because you can't you can't replace Enoch Mwamba. There is nobody, it's not just nobody on the Toronto roster that can come in and just, you know, go and be Enoch Mwamba. There's not a lot of guys around the league, if any, who can just get in there and be Enoch Mwamba. And they tried, and you have to tip your hat to to Trevor Hoyt, to Jack Kassar. I thought they both played admirably, and Kassar, Kassar may have had the tackle of the game uh, down near the end. He was he made a play near the end of the game that might have saved the Argos that win, but in terms of working their way through the end of the third, uh, sorry, the end of the second, the third quarter, the fourth quarter, they just, they're not, they're not Enoch Mwamba. It's not, it's not the same guy, and after that injury, you notice that's when suddenly Ottawa was able to uh, run the football successfully. And once they were able to run the football, now that changes your defensive plan. Just taking one guy out like that, Enoch Mom was such a big piece. He comes out, now they can run, and now that they can run, you have to adjust, and now they can pass. Fortunately, uh, they weren't able to to score a major, but they cash in two field goals uh, at the at the end. It's thirteen six, and then the Argos missed on a, an opportunity that I really felt was going to happen. At the very end of the half, they played that time management beautifully, and I want to give another shout out to Curly Gittins Jr., who had the the game of his life. They they're running out of time. They've got like five seconds on the clock. And it, they're out of field goal range. They're they're right at midfield, and you you can't you can't kick a, a sixty-two yarder to end the half. We've we've seen that we've we've seen that uh, that's not a good plan. And so they throw a quick ball on all hooks. They throw it to Gittins Jr. He has the wherewithal to immediately hit the deck and to signal to the officials that he's giving himself up. 
because obviously Ottawa is not coming in to touch him. They don't want to ground him. They want that clock to go to zero before they touch him. So he catches that ball after like a five or six yard pass, hits the deck and starts banging the turf and looking at the officials to let them know, I'm giving myself up. I'm down. They blow the whistle. There's time for one more play. Boris Beattie marches out there and and he just misses. Uh, 51 yarder, Just you don't see Boris Beattie miss a lot. And it says something when... When your kicker misses a 51-yard field goal and you think, oh, that's weird. What's wrong? Uh, what's, what's, wrong is, what's wrong is you? What's wrong is, is the person say, thinking that? And so that's me. Because right in that scenario, I'm like, huh, what's, what's wrong with Beattie missing a 51-yard field goal like that? Well, that's, that's ridiculous, obviously. And, you know, he, he did miss a couple today, but these are, these are monster field goals. He also hit two 51-yard field goals. He misses a 51, misses a 46. Um, Beattie is is hugely reliable. Remember, coming into last week, he'd hit 12 in a row. But these are... It was extremely windy at TD Place. It was swirling all over the place. And those are bombs. So you don't blame Beattie on that one. But, man, that would have been nice to go in and take that momentum back away, to go in to halftime up 10 instead of up just a touchdown. It was making me a little bit nervous. Like I said, it, it it didn't go away at half. And then you're nursing all of these injuries. And then to start the, the third quarter, doesn't uh, Banks go and get injured? And he, he was he was having a, a bit of a game too. Not the way that Curly Gittens Jr. was, but, but he was certainly heavily involved in the game plan. And so he takes a, a short pass, is able to, to make a, a really nice move. He gets face masked to the ground. And it looked like... It was hard to see exactly what happened, even on the replay. It looked like he might have reached out his hand to brace his fall, and that's something that, that you never want to do. Anyone who, who snowboards either has or knows someone who has broken their wrist trying to brace their fall. It's the exact same thing. You're going to the ground. Instinctively, you reach out, and the, the wrist always goes. You could see on that one, at least, he, he got up flexing his hand, holding his wrist, but shaking it off, and that's not something you do with a broken wrist. So I, I felt like... Like he'd be back in the game, and, and he was. Um, but there was a chance on, I want to, I'm just checking my notes here. It's like two plays later. Uh, DeMonte Coxie missed an opportunity for a touchdown on a deep ball, and it might not have looked at it on, looked like it on your screen. But this was kind of like we talked about last week. You remember, I'll bring you back in time to last week, the interception that McLeod Bethel-Thompson threw in the end zone where it just seemed like he launched a deep ball to nobody. And when they looked at the replay, it looked like, I think it was Curly Gittens Jr. who had, who had pulled up uh, on, a, uh, on a hook uh, instead of carrying it out. And that was an option route. That looked like this was the exact same option route. And again, the rule on that is this. After... At whatever yard line it is, every team runs it a little bit differently. But let's say let's say we're talking about 10 yards. After 10 yards, if you have not made up the cushion that your DB has given you and your DB is still off you, if there's still a cushion, then you dig your feet into the ground and you come back for that hook. If you have made up, if you are even or ahead of your defender, then you go. Uh, it's the old expression, if you're, you're even, you're leaving. Um, that's that's what happened on that play. Coxey had man coverage, as they saw so much of this game. He made up the ground by that 10-yard point. He was he was even beyond his DB. And then he jammed on the brakes and, and came back on a hook. Bethel Thompson read it the way I did and aired it out. 
And Coxie had a step. If he had kept going to the end zone, it's hard to say uh, how this lines up, but it looked like a pretty good ball from Bethel Thompson. That that may have been six. Instead, they end up having to settle for a 51-yard field goal. Boris Beattie makes it 16-6. And, uh, and then it got it got really slow for the rest of the third quarter. It was a lot of Bethel Thompson getting just hit hard, getting sacked. The Red Blacks sort of scraping away yardage. They added a field goal to make it 16-9. And then uh, Bethel Thompson, uh, after getting hit again in the red zone, uh, takes a sack to bring them what I thought might have been out of field goal range. It was a tough one. This was ended up being, I think it was 46 um, so you send Beattie out there, but yeah, he just pushed it a little bit to the right. They at least get the single. The nice thing about Beattie missing, like you, not a lot of kickers in the league miss a 46-yard field goal and have it sail out of the end zone for the automatic rouge. And uh, that makes it 17-9 to at that point. And, and then Arbuckle actually hit a bomb. Uh, the defense started to to show some some vulnerability deep, which they really haven't. They were having some trouble in the seams. And this, again, comes from the adjusted game plan from Enoch Mwamba being out. Everything changes on defense. And suddenly they're not dropping the same way that they were before. Suddenly guys in deep third are, are sticking a little bit more to the sidelines because the guys in flats are having to press a bit more. They're having to come in and be run stoppers. Guys that have corners, that have uh, flats responsibility, are getting involved in the run plays. And so that does affect how deep coverage works. When you're not worried about that, when your linebackers are cleaning up all the run plays, then you can sit back in your flat zone, you can sit back in your deep third, your deep middle, and just do your job. But what you had on on that drive, and really for a lot of the rest of the game, was DBs who have been playing so well together, starting to look to do the job of other people. And you had open seams, so Arbuckle hits that that deep bomb. They don't get any points out of that out of that drive because their field goal hit the uprights, which is one of the most unfair things in CFL football. I was I was perfectly fine with it at the time, but there are so many <laughs> there's so many ways to get to get points kicking the football in the CFL, and it's just weird to think that if you miss a field goal by like ten yards to the right, that you can get a single on that. But if you absolutely drill the upright, which means you were really close to getting the three, uh, that's that's not a single. I kind of feel like like I, again, I'm I'm torn on this because I know the argument against the rouge is that you're rewarding what people call failure, a either a punt that goes into the end zone, which is you know you're not trying to get it to, or a field goal that misses. But you also kind of have to look at it as a special teams play at the ability to get the ball out of the end zone or, you know, or the ability, ability to tackle somebody in the end zone or to kick it through. Um, there is sort of a skill there, but it didn't it doesn't feel like it when you're not rewarded a point for hitting the upright. So, yeah, every time I see that happen, I think, man, that's that kicker just misses a little worse. That's a single. And that was the case there. Should have been a single. It's not. So the, the score stays uh, 17, 19. And then the, the drive of the game happens. And it's from here that we're also going to find the play of the game. When I recap that, um, this was a tear and it was so badly needed. The Argos up eight, Ottawa clearly able to move the football. Now the, the Argos defense reeling a little bit and Bethel Thompson goes five for five for 83 yards and a touchdown. And it was a touchdown to Curly Gittens Jr. where I talked about this one off the top of the show. 
where he did everything he could to get in the end zone. He was not going to risk being short, being a yard short, and having to go out there with quarterback sneaks. Uh, it was a fantastic drive. Bethel Thompson spread it around. He hit four different receivers and five passes, yeah, 83 yards, no incompletions on that. And they they didn't, they, I think there was one, there was one QB sneak in the middle of that, but there weren't any called running plays because it became like throwing a play away. The, the Argos were, were rushing so poorly for most of the game that even with Olette punishing people, they just weren't rushing for enough yardage to justify it. Olette finished the day with 10 carries for 29 yards, so 2.9 yards a carry. When that's what your lead rusher is, well, the lead rusher is actually Bethel Thompson with two carries for 11 yards, but but when, that, when your lead back can't even average three yards a carry, and again, no fault of Olette, that's that's not on him. It just wasn't there. The the Red Blacks were going all out to shut down the run, and the Argos couldn't run block through that. And so you have to do what Coach Dinwiddie did on that golden drive. You just say, you know what, let's let's not run the football anymore. Let's just pass it. And and that's that's how that third quarter ended. It was huge to finish that quarter twenty four nine at that point. I was a little more comfortable, but you you never know. It's the CFL and and. Uh, of course, uh, Arbuckle was was moving the ball here, but um, it it felt like this was now back in a little bit more of a comfort zone for the Argos. So twenty four nine heading to the fourth. The real difference that you saw in the fourth quarter, all that pressure that Toronto was able to generate with a four man rush early in the game wasn't there anymore. I know Arbuckle took a couple of sacks late. He took an intentional grounding penalty late, but those weren't immediate. He had time. He had time to to find receivers. It was only the good coverage of the linebackers and the DBs dropping uh, aid into coverage that that led to those sacks, those knockdowns, those that intentional grounding penalty. It, it was terrific play from everybody else, but they were not getting home. That line was exhausted. They lost Shane Ray early on. That's not that's another one that I I didn't talk about. That happened really early in the game. Shane Ray, it just look like the kind of injury you, you don't want to see. Anytime it doesn't look like much happened on the play and a player with very little contact goes down holding their knee, you hold your breath. And I, I hope he's okay. I haven't seen a report on that, but it would be a huge loss. Ray is Ray is good for several highlights a game and is constantly in the minds of the, the tackles that he's going against. Those, those so many left tackles that we've seen uh, over the last few weeks have just been absolutely diced up by Shane Ray. And I know he doesn't, it's not like that on every single play, but several times a game you get that burst and and it was missing. And so without him, uh, you know, trying to close out that game, you just didn't have uh, that player stepping up and coming through. And as well as, as well as Brandon Barlow has played, and as, as good as that defensive line has been, Sam Achimpong uh, had some really nice plays in there as well. That Honestly, the whole defensive line played well, but there was nobody that had... Arbuckle on the run in that fourth quarter. And that's, you know, something that we saw from early on uh, from from CN Power. I felt like Oakman, uh, Oakman got, we, we talked about him getting getting hosed a little bit on that roughing the passer penalty, but he followed it up with another sack, like two plays later. He was in there with a sack when the guard in front of him didn't even touch him. You've got a defensive tackle who goes untouched when there's no, there's no missed block. It was just a whiff. 
it wasn't like a missed assignment. Somebody, because usually if a defensive tackle gets through clean for a sack, it usually means someone messed up their assignment. There was no messed up assignment on Oakman's sack. But, you know, by the end of the game, nobody's got any gas left because you don't have the rotation that you did before. And the Argos weren't really sending those three-man rushes as frequently as they did before. So they weren't even rotating that way. So that, that defensive line down near the end of the game, you could see just how gassed they were. And that's why, uh, you know, in combination with losing Muamba, uh, the defense just looked like a whole different team. They played so well in that uh, first quarter and a half. And then down the stretch, like I said, they were were doing their best, but it wasn't quite the same team. Uh, A bit of a rough play from Bethel Thompson as they're trying to kill clock. Uh, He ends up getting picked off. He goes deep. Uh, He had Daniels wide open. You've got to be so much more careful on a play like this. So I just want to describe this so you know what what Bethel Thompson was seeing. This would have probably put just about put the game away because it would have had them in in Ottawa's territory at that point. Daniels is lined up to McLeod Bethel Thompson's right in the slot. Uh, they're running verticals. Uh, it looked like four verticals, and there was a huge seam that Daniels was in. He was he was wide open. Bethel Thompson saw it late and threw it late. If he throws that earlier, Daniels is not only wide open for the catch, but actually has enough space that that may go. He throws it late enough that both the uh, both the um, deep third and deep middle are able to converge on that. And uh, verticals can be a nightmare against cover three, but they had enough time to be able to adjust. I don't know if there was... I'd be making an excuse to say wind was a factor because I didn't see it. I know it was windy, it was swirly. It didn't look like the wind held up the football on that. It looked like it was just thrown too late. And he's got to throw that earlier, put as much zip on it as you can, keep that ball low, because the more travel time for the football in there, the more chance it's going to get picked off. So it does get picked off. Fortunately for the Argos, Ottawa is only able to turn that into a field goal. But yeah, it got dicey. They got down there again. They they had a chance. And yeah, Kassar made, made a really nice play late to... Uh, to to blow up Ottawa's chances. So probably could have gone either way at the end. Probably should have been an Argos blowout, but that's the CFL for you. It ends up being a pretty exciting football game. And there are moments of this game that, that weren't great. There were stretches in the third where you're just like, what's what's going on here? Where it's two and out after two and out after two and out. And not the kind that were necessarily generated by great defensive play. So, yeah, I was just, um, I was really happy for the Argos that they were able to pull that off in the end. Because this would have been a really tough one to swallow had they had they blown that late. Uh, but yeah, they, they do come away with it. Looking at the box scores, Bethel Thompson finishes the day throwing just under 70%. He was 27 for 39 for 365, a touchdown and an interception. Those sound like great stats, but like I said before, unless you are completing 80, 85%, if you're doing what Nathan Rourke was doing to start the year, then you don't need a running game. But if you are not, if you're throwing 70, 75% even completions, it's it's not going to do it. You've got to have the support. And it just wasn't there. The Argos uh, finished the day with 43 yards rushing on 14 carries. Uh, that's They do get the rushing touchdown, which I know has has been elusive. They've had a couple, though. They had the Banks one uh, off that weird play last week. Uh, a couple others earlier in the season, but... 
Um, yeah, it was nice to see Olette get in for the touchdown, even though he had a pretty rough day carrying the football. But um, he was a pretty useful receiver. That was where Bethel Thompson really did a nice job of spreading it around. Gittins Jr. was his main guy with the eight catches, 161 in the touchdown. But three catches for Coxie, six catches for Banks. Uh, and those weren't all just like little dump offs. He got downfield a little bit. He made some nice plays today, too. Deveris had four for 36 and Olet had four catches for 26, and a couple of those were really big first downs. Ambles, the two catches for 25. So just being able to spread it around to six different receivers, that's what you want to see. But like I've said many times, and I, I know I'm, I'm going over the top on this now, but th- there needs to be a running game. They've got to find a way. They cannot go forward like this, even as well as the defense is playing. Because like they played, they played really well for most of this game today. We don't know how long Enoch Wam was going to be out. They said upper body injury. It looked like back to me, but what do I know? Uh, who knows? Like if if this is several weeks, then maybe the defense is going to look a little bit like how the defense looked in the second half today. And teams that are a lot better than the Ottawa Red Blacks are going to punish you for that. And if you can't run the football on the other side, it's uh, it's amazing what a difference it makes. It's it's really incredible because it's all of those touchdowns are now field goals instead. That's the difference. That's what that means. When you can't run the football, it means you're kicking a lot of field goals. Uh, Boris Beatty, uh, three for five for field goals. His misses were were both long ones. You would love to see him go four for five, but it's hard to it, it's hard in swirling winds to blame someone for missing a 46 or a 51 yarder. Uh, defensively, uh, it was it was mostly like Mechie and and uh, Wyndham McManus. Wyndham McManus with eight tackles. Mechie was playing up a lot at the end of the game today. He was really pressing, and he made up. came up and made some really nice physical plays. That's not something that you get to see Mechie do in the style of defense that the Argos play. They play so much zone where he's playing deep middle. Uh, regardless of what the the coverage is, he's almost always got a deep zone. So he doesn't typically have a lot of tackles on a stat sheet. He's not usually involved in a lot of plays where he's coming up and making hits, but he punished a couple guys today. So that was kind of cool to just see that in him. And it will give teams something to think about. They've run, on the the film study I did last week, I, I illustrated... A, uh, a sort of it was kind of like a a, a bit of a, a Tampa two look um, that uh, that they ran where the the safety came down like came right down almost into the box and having Mechie do that showing that he could do that today if you're looking for some support for Hoyt and Kassar you think about how the middle of the field works if you've got one of those guys playing the Mac playing Enoch Mwamba's spot and you don't want them thinking about pass coverage because you want them shutting down the run. Well, that's a great way to to solve that. And that's essentially what the Argos did. They walked Mechie down a little bit and had him kind of taking care of that underneath hole, taking care of that space in behind where Kassar and Hoyt would would start off from. So it was pretty cool to see uh, him step up and, and take that on today. All right, plays of the game, uh, player, players of the game and play of the game. So... Players of the game is is really easy for me. Offensively, this is Curly Gittens Jr. This is just a no-brainer. I've gone through his stats already a couple times today. But yeah, an amazing, amazing return home game for for uh, Curly Gittens Jr. Uh, as he finishes up with eight catches, 161, uh, including a 55-yarder in there. Uh, sorry, a 45-yarder in there. Uh, and uh, averaging 20 yards a catch with a touchdown. That's just a, a huge day, and a day where Bethel Thompson needed someone to step up like that. That was massive. 
And then defensive player of the game, uh, I'm going with Deshaun Amos. I know Wyndham McManus, had he not received like five other defensive players of the game so far this season, maybe I give it to him. I think if JB is on with us today, probably probably JB gives it to Wyndham McManus and I give it to Mechie, simply because he was asked to do things that he hasn't really been asked to do all season. This is what I was talking about before, where he was being asked to come down into, uh, not quite into the box, but coming down into the underneath hole, trying to help out wherever he could with the young middle linebackers who the coaches clearly wanted to focus on stopping the run, not on just taking two read steps and bailing out. Enoch Mwamba is a wizard at that. I did talk about that in my film piece this past week when I was looking at Wynton McManus being able to diagnose run or pass so quickly and you see him take his two read steps and then bail out at at an extremely high rate. That's a skill. It's really hard to do. And to expect Kassar and Hoyt to come in there and be able to do that at the level that that Muamba and McManus can is just unrealistic. It's not going to happen. And so it looked like the coaches had said to those young linebackers, when you're in at Mac, you stop the run. You worry about the run. We'll worry about the pass behind you. And that's where they had Royce Mechie come in and sort of play that this sort of uh, Tampa 2 look where Mechie is playing that... that um, that underneath hole, uh, you know, crawling down from what would normally be for him uh, deep middle. That's almost always what he's asked to to cover when he's uh, when he's playing zone. So it was great to see him adjust to that, to come in and make seven tackles, uh, second on the team in tackles behind only Winton McManus. He deserves that for sure. And then the play of the game, there's so many ways we could go here, but I... I I think the play of the game has to be the touchdown to Curly Gittins Jr. I'm going to give an honorable mention to Coxey for that spectacular catch, spin, double stiff arm, staying in bounds somehow and finally being pushed out at the two. It was an incredible play. If Coxey doesn't make a mistake on that read route later in the game, maybe I'm not angry with him and I and I stick with him on that. But I think I'm going to give it to Curly Gittins Jr., uh, with that that touchdown pass, uh, it it was a spectacular individual effort. He ran a great route. He got open and just found a way to get the ball in the end zone when it looked like he was going to be stopped short. He just dug a little bit deeper, sprung forward, held that ball out. It looked like he might lose it for a second, but was able to uh, to keep a grip on that football and it crossed the goal line for the touchdown. So that is my play of the game. All right. We head into the bye week. We've got a little bit more normalcy coming up. Uh, We're not going to be doing podcasts from houseboats or uh, hotels or anything like that uh, for the next little while. Uh, We've got uh, this bye week and then we're back in Ottawa and we'll actually be in Ottawa. And so that will be uh, that'll be a much better situation. So you're not having to listen to me from a boat or a bar and without JB. I know it's it's. It's not the same doing this podcast without GB. I, I hate being without him. I don't think I've done a post game without him since 2019. So yeah, he is. Don't tell him that, but he's uh, very much, very much missed. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing what he says I missed in that game because I'm sure there were, I'm sure there were a ton of things, uh, moments where the offense could have done something better. I don't even know how to extra this without saying so long for JB. So I'm just going to pretend that he's here and extra the normal way. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya.